everyone. Welcome to another episode of Everybody Blurt. Each week we chat to a different expert, giving the professional lowdown on depression, well-being and support available. Think of this podcast as a helping hand through the often scary world of mental health. From eating well and getting good night's sleep to being there for someone who's struggling. We'll cover the practical stuff as well as the emotional. So settle down with a cuppa and let's get started. Today I have the pleasure of being joined by Lucy Jones. Lucy is an award-winning dietitian, writer and TV presenter. She's here today to talk about how we can boost our mental well-being with the food and drink we consume. Hi Lucy, how are you? I'm very well, thanks. Could you please give us an introduction to your background? So... My background is as a dietitian. Um, traditionally, I've worked in hospitals uh, throughout London mainly, and more recently, I've worked in more varied fields. So, I work as a freelance dietitian advising people in private practice. I advise lots of different companies on uh, the nutrition in their products and, and how to talk to people about the nutrition of their products. And I also work a lot on TV as a, a presenter around nutrition. Can you please tell us why it is important to be mindful about what we eat and drink? Well, I think food plays a big part of our lives for everybody. We have to eat to live. And yet many of us get through day by day, week by week, without paying much attention to the food that we're eating. And actually, nutrition as a whole, it plays a crucial role in both our physical and our psychological health. But what we tend to see is that it has a cumulative rather than an immediate effect. And that tends to mean that people then underestimate the role that it has to play. Because if you have a bad diet, you don't see anything immediately negative happening. And that's because it happens over a long period of time. Nutrition actually starts to affect our health right from the very day we're conceived, throughout our mother's pregnancy, throughout our childhood, and the rest of our lives. And actually, by undertaking little positive changes over time, you can actually reduce the risk of major chronic diseases, things like cancer, dementia, heart disease, but also affect how you feel on a daily basis, your energy levels, your immunity, your ability to get through the day. And actually, nutrition goes way beyond calories, fat and sugar. Every single vitamin, mineral and phytonutrient has a really important role to play in our bodies and for our health. So we need to be paying attention to our diet quality and actually the variety of foods that we eat because that can make a big difference too. What kind of foods can we eat to boost our brain functions, perhaps stabilise our moods? Well, the first thing to think about, rather than the specific foods that we should be eating, is the way we should be eating. And what we know is that eating a regular meal pattern can play a big role in improving people's energy levels, their brain function, their concentration, their ability to remember things. So actually getting up and getting into a regular meal pattern through the day gives your brain a constant supply of sugar and glucose from the food that you eat, which is actually its preferred energy source. We know that long periods of fasting can actually negatively affect our mood and our energy levels, leaving people sort of distracted and less productive through the day. Another thing to bear in mind is simply drinking enough water. This can actually have very powerful effects on your brain function. There have been lots of studies looking at sort of chronic mild dehydration, which we believe is actually very common. If you look at what the European Food Safety Authority actually recommend, it's like 
1.9 to 2.1 litres of water a day. Very few of us manage that. And we think, you know, this sort of chronic mild dehydration that a lot of us have affects our concentration, our memory, learning ability, and even specific skills like our hand-eye coordination. We know that there is some evidence to support a Mediterranean-style diet in terms of mood stabilization and avoidance of depressive symptoms. So basing your diet on lots of vegetables and fruits and nuts and seeds and whole grains and having some oily fish regularly and using olive oil or rapeseed oil as your fat could well actually really help. Beyond that, we know there are specific nutrients. So the omega-3 fatty acids that you get in oily fish have been shown in several studies to help improve mood and reduce depressive symptoms. And we know that low levels of some B vitamins, things like folate, B6, B12, and also if you're iron deficient, if you develop anemia, that can affect your mood. The reason this is important is when people have low diet quality, so they often are, are having lots of processed foods, they lack a lot of the B vitamins because they're present in things like whole grain foods. So people often become quite low in these nutrients without really realising it. It's interesting you mentioned iron there actually um, because most recently I've been told by my doctor I've got low levels of iron mm -hmm. and actually the way that that felt to me was very similar to how depression's felt to me. It was a little bit different, you know, I didn't have those... Um, those thoughts and things that I associate with depression, but I had the fatigue, the foggy head, I had a foggy head, and it was so similar, and it was um, really interesting to me to wonder maybe perhaps if I struggled that previously. Um, so what foods are high in iron? It's a really good question, and it's a very good point that you make, because when people have depression, they often are led to putting all of their symptoms down to depression. And actually, poor nutrition and subsequent nutritional deficiencies could be either exacerbating or causing some of their symptoms. So they might find actually their ability to cope with the day and their, their, how they're feeling is, is a lot better if their diet was to improve. In terms of iron, the best sources are lean red meat. Um, so particularly menstruating women should aim to have a, a portion of red meat each week. It's very good for their iron. We often think of spinach, don't we? But actually, they're quite a poor source of iron. Um, <laughs> Blaming that on Popeye. <laughs> I, I think we should blame it on Popeye. But there are others. So things like uh, baked beans, lentils, those sorts of foods have some iron in. Uh, a lot of breakfast cereals are actually fortified with iron. So they can be a great way to start the day, particularly for vegetarians. And even some dried fruits, things like dried apricots, they, they're a good iron source as well. So it is possible to do it without the red meat, certainly. Um, I was also wondering, how can what we eat or drink affect the quality of our sleep? Well, that's a very interesting question because it's this sort of which came first, the chicken or the egg situation. We do know that a lot of people with low mood and depressive symptoms do suffer with insomnia and poor sleep quality. And it's trying to establish how much of that is due to the depression. And, and again, is any of it actually being caused by poor nutrition? We know that if people tend to um, drink caffeinated drinks later in the day, that could upset their sleep quality or their ability to fall asleep and also excess alcohol. It's funny because uh, most of us know if you drink a lot, you then fall asleep very heavily but you actually have quite a poor sleep quality. You wake up earlier and people struggle to get back to sleep and don't feel refreshed on waking. So it's not actually a helpful sleep that people have after too much booze. 
a lot of people also find that having their evening meal too close to going to bed can disrupt their eating. Um, there is no hard and fast rules about this one, but we do know that aiming to have your evening meal about three or four hours before you're going to go to sleep, not undertaking any extensive heavy exercise in the few hours that you're going uh, before you go to bed and making sure you've got good sleep hygiene can all help and that that sleep hygiene refers to things like making sure your bedroom's nice and dark and quiet and it's a comfortable temperature and you haven't got any noises and you haven't been watching tv or working on the computer within the few minutes before going to bed and all those things can add up to a better night's sleep are there any foods that we can eat that might make us feel a bit sleepy? Well, as a little bit of a snack, perhaps. Yeah, there's, there's been some very interesting research on this. It's all very much ongoing. Some people find having whole grain carbohydrates um, in, in their evening meal helpful uh, because you get that sort of insulin response. Uh, if you have a big carby meal, it often makes you feel quite sleepy. Um, there have been some studies about certain antioxidants before people go to sleep, like having a kiwi fruit or a, a glass of cherry juice. And these studies are very much in the early stages, but certainly it's not going to harm anyone to try it and see if it works for them. Um, but I think the most important thing is getting yourself into a, a regular dietary pattern and actually making sure that you have good diet quality and you're getting all the nutrients you need in the day and trying to avoid that very heavy meal just before bed. I think I read something a little while ago about turkey. So it, turkey is a source of tryptophan, which is a okay. specific amino acid which is turned to melatonin in the brain. However, there's still a lot of debate among experts about whether eating turkey will mean <laughs> that you actually sleep better or whether it is that sleepy response because you've eaten a massive meal. Um, <laughs> my feeling is probably it's more likely to be the latter. But again, you know, including a sauce of turkey with your evening meal isn't going to do you any harm. And we do know that tryptophan is a precursor to melatonin, which is important for helping us go to sleep and regulating our sleep cycles. We did touch a little bit on caffeine and sugar. What role do they play in our mental well-being and are they causal? Well, we do know that eating lots of sugar is going to give you sudden sort of peaks and troughs in the amount of glucose in your blood and that can typically give somebody spikes in their energy levels and feelings of fatigue and irritability when their blood glucose drops. Now, that fatigue and irritability can also be linked to people's you know, mood and depressive symptoms. So trying to get a more even blood glucose level throughout the day can be very helpful. Um, now, sugar has obviously been in the press a lot over the last year. And all of the top-level evidence still only associates high intakes of sugar with weight gain and increased risk of tooth decay. And obviously, there is a lot of ongoing studies to try and work out if it affects mood um, in different ways. But for now, the evidence doesn't support that. There have been some early studies showing that too much sugar is sometimes linked to a sort of aggressive behavior or anxiety. But certainly, the, the evidence base for that at the moment is still quite poor. For me, what sugar does more so than the sort of direct impact of eating it, it's the association that if you eat lots of refined sugar and refined carbohydrates, you're eating a lot of processed food, 
So for me, that's more likely to be linked to depression because you're then not eating the good quality food that's giving you the B vitamins, that's giving you the iron, that's giving you the omega-3 oily fish, that actually we know those nutrients are needed for stable mood and, and lowering of depressive symptoms. So it's more about the fact that high sugar diets tend to be poor quality and therefore not giving you the nutrients that you need. Um, in terms of caffeine, obviously caffeine is a drug. Quite similar, although on a lower level, to things like nicotine. Uh, we know that 80% of people in Western countries drink tea and coffee regularly. But what's become more of an issue recently is particularly young people having these sort of mega doses of caffeine in energy drinks and caffeinated pills. The trouble with this is it provides very large doses of caffeine in a really short space of time. With a hot drink, we tend to sip it. And with an energy drink, they're sort of downed, and that gives somebody a very sudden hit of caffeine. And this could be more likely to lead them to withdrawal symptoms if they go without it. And we know that withdrawal symptoms can include things like uh, anxiety and, and, and low mood and depressive symptoms and irritability and, and sweating and generally feeling very unwell. Um, and in that way, they are symptomatic. We just spoke a little bit about a high sugar diet and I have definitely been guilty of that at times. Nutella on toast, chocolate biscuits, all of those kind of, what well, I, you know, comfort foods. Can you recommend some alternatives which might satisfy the cravings but not be quite so unhealthy? <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, thinking about alternative foods can be really helpful. But the other thing we need to think about is also distraction techniques so that you're not always controlling those emotions and, and, and having food as a comfort. So distraction techniques include things like um, picking up when you're starting to feel that craving or the desire to eat and just going out for a walk, you know, picking up the phone and, and chatting with a friend, even having a nice bubble bath or listening to some music. Um, and I often tell people who struggle with cravings that taking on a new hobby or even learning like a new mu musical instrument can then help to provide distraction when they start to get these cravings. So the first thing is to learn to take a moment when the craving hits to acknowledge that it's there and to start thinking about what has led to it. How are you feeling? What situation are you in? Because actually knowing when these cravings are striking us starts to put you in the driving seat of controlling it and, and knowing that you can put in a distraction technique so you're not always ending up eating at that point. However, if you really do want to eat something, there are some great alternatives. So if you like Nutella on toast, for example, why don't you pick something like peanut or almond butter on seeded toast? The reason I say that is a slice of seeded toast gives you five grams of protein and almost as much fiber the peanut or almond butter, again, gives you protein and fiber, which means you end up with almost 10 grams in this one slice of protein and almost the same amount of fiber. Now, both of these nutrients are the top nutrients for helping you feel satisfied and full. So actually, it then becomes a really good snack, both nutritionally, because it's giving you lots of micronutrients, it's giving you the B vitamins that we know are great for mood, it's giving you protein, so it helps you to feel full. And it's also going to help to drive that craving down because it's giving you those key satiating, filling nutrients. If you're a chocolate fiend, then mm. try, <laughs> try 
try mixing something like a small handful of dark chocolate drops into a nice natural yogurt with some berries. So you get the hit of chocolate as you're eating it. But again, it becomes a sort of soul food. It's good for you. It's, it's, it's actually contributing to your nutritional intake and you can feel good about eating it rather than guilty. Because that's the trouble is when we often are feeling low and turn to these foods, we actually end up feeling worse because you end up feeling guilty afterwards. So if you can replace that with a habit that actually makes you feel good, like you're taking care of yourself, well, that's an even better response. And I really like the examples you've chosen there because they're actually quite quick to prepare. Because I think when you are feeling really low, preparing a milk can feel a bit overwhelming. And that's, I think that's why I, that's definitely one of the reasons I tend to turn to things that are just quick and easy and not so good for me. And I know from speaking to you know, people through Blurt, that's kind of one of the reasons they do. So are there other examples of quick meals that we can put together really quickly that are nutritionally balanced for us? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, do you know, one of my favourites is beans and cheese on toast. Yum. <laughs> I just think we underestimate, and, and we have a lot of food snobbery in this country. I think food snobbery exists <laughs> against things like baked beans, and I think it exists against things like fish fingers. I mean, you can get omega-3 fortified fish fingers, so you get the really positive omega-3 fatty acids that we know help our brain health, and you can grill them all and stick them in a seeded bread sandwich, and actually, that's a pretty good meal. <laughs> stick some salad in there, like some uh, a sliced-up tomato and some lettuce. And I think, you know, when people are feeling low, it can feel quite overwhelming, this pressure to cook a healthy meal and to chop mm. lots of vegetables. So I always tell people, get some of those um, frozen steam bags of veg and you can chuck one in the microwave. It's done in two minutes and you can serve it alongside whatever you want to eat. And you're having a good dose of all the vitamins and minerals, but you haven't had to spend ages prepping it. I also love tinned oily fish, things like mackerel in tomato sauce. And that mashed up on a nice slice of wholemeal seeded toast is lovely and provides you with a very nutritious snack. Food doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be expensive. Talking about depression and medication, I know that some people feel as though that affects their appetite um, and also then they feel that it affects their metabolism. And so is that the case? And is it a temporary change or is it a permanent change? It's actually really well known that lots of medications can affect appetite and, and metabolism and quite often in people do lead to unwanted weight gain. Um, and these medications are often the ones used to treat things like diabetes, high blood pressure, but as you were saying, a lot of antidepressants and even things that people take for migraines. The ones in particular, uh, if we think about depression, are the tricyclic antidepressants, so things like amitriptyline, um, but also the SSRIs, so things like sertraline, which a lot of people take for anxiety and depression. Um, and, and one of the uh, worst ones known for weight gain is lithium as well. And that can make it really hard for people because they almost end up with this double effect whereby their depression means that they're not making as beneficial food choices and a lot of people end up comfort eating and surviving off quick processed foods. And then the medication they're on can worsen that weight gain that they're already experiencing. It does tend to be a temporary effect whilst people are taking the medications. But as we all know, weight loss is really hard. So it can become permanent, not because it's still having that effect, but actually just because it's really hard to lose weight and keep it off. So the most important thing we can do is to help people not gain it in the first place. Just because they're on medications doesn't necessarily mean that they will gain a lot of weight. 
and people need to work with their doctors quite closely if they do notice weight gain going back and asking for support because sometimes there's different medications that they can swap you onto that won't have the same impact on your weight there's also lots of advice we can do around helping people to eat in a more healthy way to avoid excessive weight gain and I've been in this situation where I've been unemployed um, because of my depression and had a low income. Are there any tips that you can give to those people for maintaining a varied and nutritionally balanced diet? I know you mentioned things like fish fingers, which aren't very expensive at all, um, and baked beans definitely aren't. Um, so are there any other tips that you have? There are, actually. I think it's a really good point because often when people are on a very tight budget, ready meals seem like a really good choice because it's a fixed price. And you buy it, and sometimes they're as cheap as 99p, and they can do you a meal. But actually, the way they make them that cheap is often to not have much of the good ingredients, like the, the lean meat or the fish, and they can often bulk them up with much cheaper ingredients. Let's take a fish pie, for example. So you can get a ready-made fish pie really cheaply, but the chances of it having any quantity of oily fish in it is pretty slim, where you could scour the supermarket or the fishmongers and get a couple of bits of cheaper cuts of meat so things like river cobbler pollock mackerel you can all pick up really cheaply you simply poach it in some milk add a bit of flour some frozen peas hard-boiled egg because eggs are another really affordable good protein source and some dried mixed herbs and then you stick some mashed potato on top and the the key here is making it in bulk you do a, a big lot and then you cut it up put it into Tupperware, stick it in the freezer, and you've got your own frozen ready meals that you know are healthy, you know are good for you, and can actually do you several meals. So I think cooking in bulk is really important. A lot of people really struggle to eat healthily if they live or they prepare food on their own, and it always seems a bit of a daunting task. So getting in the habit of just cooking once or twice a week, but actually making that in bulk and uh, separating it into portions and getting it frozen so that you've got healthy dinners every day. The other thing I would say is we were just talking about food snobbery and beware of it, uh, food fashion I call it. You can actually often find much cheaper alternatives of things that aren't in fashion. Take kale for example. The price of kale has skyrocketed and yet you can get almost identical nutrients in things like spring greens that you can pick up for a fraction of the price. Same with tender stem broccoli. Normal old broccoli has very <laughs> similar nutrients. And that's a fraction of the price. And don't forget that actually green grocers, you can actually pick up better deals quite often than the supermarket. If we're thinking about protein, that can often be where a lot of us spend a lot of money buying meat and fish. And vegetarian cooking can actually be a much cheaper and healthier way of doing it. Beans, pulses, eggs, they're all really good, cheap sources of protein, which are very healthy as well. Oats, for example, make a great breakfast choice and help to lower your cholesterol. And you can pick up a massive bag for about 30p. Um, so it's totally doable. People just need a little bit of know-how. It's like we were saying with the oily fish. Sometimes people find that really expensive, but we know it's really good for our brains and hearts. Well, a good trick is actually the tinned ones. Particularly things like the mackerel and sardines, they retain their omega-3 fatty acids when they're tinned. And you can pick up a tin for about 60p, which is much more affordable than buying it fresh. So that can be a very um, good way of including enough omega-3 fatty acids in your diet too. 
And I guess the snobbery can also lend itself to buying organic. It can, and actually very few studies have shown any significant difference in the nutrient levels of ho uh, conventionally grown and organic produce, and it tends to be more about the ethical argument and the food sustainability argument. But actually, if you're looking at nutrition, you can be perfectly well on conventionally grown, cheaper fruit and veg. Have you got any other tips that we might be able to take away with us? I think the, the most important tip is not to underestimate the power that your diet can have on your overall health as well as your mental well-being. Pay attention to everything you're eating and treat food as your medicine because actually if you invest a few months of eating well, you'll be amazed at the impact on how you feel, how your energy levels are, how you cope with stressful situations. It can have a big impact. That's fantastic. Thank you so, so much for your time today. Thanks, Jane. It's been a pleasure. That's all for this episode of Everybody Blurts. We hope you found it interesting, thought-provoking and maybe a bit useful too. We're here every week for open, honest discussions about mental health and we'd love you to join us again. Make sure you subscribe via iTunes so you don't miss us. See you next time.